It is October. And one of the unique things about the month of October, other than Halloween, is the awareness of cancer. Now, I don't mean that cancer is celebrated like Halloween. But what I mean is cancer is brought to the forefront of our minds. We remember those who have battled with cancer, those who are currently battling with cancer. And we encourage them. We pray for them and just do what we can to show them that they're cared for. In today's episode, we have with us guest speaker Shelly Wheeler. Uh, she is a cancer survivor. She is the wife of Ron Wheeler, who spoke on the podcast early on. And she is a mother, grandmother, an all around good person, a co worker, a friend. Her message is so inspiring, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna ruin it for you. I'm gonna I'm gonna let you hear it for yourself. But please know that if you know anyone who has cancer, if you are battling with cancer. This message is for you. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast at Fourth Quarter Christianity, wherever you get your podcast. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, uh, Twitter, uh, YouTube, uh, and be sure to leave a rating and a review for the podcast as this will help get this uh, podcast in front of the faces of other people. Thank you guys so much for your continued support, and I will get right into the episode with Shelly. It is a mentality that shuns excuses and focuses on what's at stake. A mindset that resolves within itself that you must totally empty yourself to experience victory. A memory that remembers that who and what you are playing for is bigger than you. Shelly, I'm so happy to have you on the show today. It is a fantastic pleasure to finally get you on the podcast and talk to you a little bit about some things that you've experienced in life. And I know that it's going to be a value to those who listen, and I'm just looking forward to learning from you today. How are you? I'm great, Daniel. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. I actually just came back from the gym, and uh, you know, I know that the NBA finals are on and a lot of people thinking about sports. Unfortunately, we can't get to the arenas like we would want to, but no worries. Football season is on the way. And uh, <laughs> sorry for those who are not able to watch this video and only have to listen to the audio. Right now, I am touching my favorite friend, uh, the Crimson Tide Elephant. And I have this little totem pole. <laughs> <laughs> Just rubbing it in Shelly's face because I know she's an LSU fan. So, uh, <laughs> Shelly, you mind telling us how you became an LSU fan? Oh, that would be because we lived in Louisiana for nine years mm -hmm. and our son um, attended LSU in Baton Rouge for his undergrad and is now in his third year at LSU New Orleans for a medical school. And he's going to be a doctor. See, that is fantastic. Uh, you missed it before. Our husband came in the camera and had on the LSU medicine. And <laughs> I root for anyone who wants to enhance humanity. And so being that LSU medicine is out to do good, I am for them in that regard. But whenever they step against the tide. <laughs> I considered wearing my Go Tigers shirt, but I refrained just to be respectful to you since you're the host. Well, thank you. Thank you. You're so kind. <laughs> well, I know that we have a uh, we have a pretty I think we have a pretty good discussion. Um, I know that for sure I've talked to people who are members of the church who are Christians, younger Christians to be exact, 
who have struggled with uh, similar situations, if not struggling with the same situation um, now that we're going to talk about. And so um, I just briefly want you to introduce yourself, if you will, um, so that the people can get a chance to know you better. Okay. Well, I'm Shelly. I am the secretary at Bellevue Church of Christ, where Daniel is our associate minister um, for his full-time job. And I have been there at the church in my role probably about nine years or so. Um, I enjoy it immensely. It's um, a lot of fun most days. Sometimes it can be sad. Sometimes it can be a little difficult, um, <laughs> but most days it's really fun and I really enjoy it. Um, I am an Air Force wife or was an Air Force wife for 30 years. My husband retired here in the Omaha area um, at his last assignment, and now he is a civilian on the base as well. Um, we have two grown children. We have a daughter who um, lives in Oklahoma City, and she is married and just had our first grandchild, uh, Everett, mm -hmm. last October. So we are, are enamored and totally in love with that little boy. He's such a blessing to all of us. And then um, we also have our son, like I said before, who is in New Orleans at LSU Medical School in his third year, getting ready to start his fourth year in July. And he is um, in a relationship with a lovely young, young lady. So um, who knows what the future will hold for that? But uh, we we prayerfully hope that it's all good. And we know that uh, he's on the path to do what God has chosen for him to do. And we know that he's going to be a great doctor when he's done. So um, otherwise, you know, I have family here in town. I have a sister and a nephew and his wife and family and our church family and lots of Air Force friends. So we are just very blessed and love Omaha in general. So we're very happy. Very well, happy. well, fantastic. I mean, obviously, from that introduction, I think I can say with all confidence that you guys are a medical family, a son <laughs> who's about to be a doctor, a daughter who's a nurse already, right? Yes. And so this is uh, fantastic. You shouldn't be getting sick anytime soon. You or Ron. <laughs> and just for those who are unaware, her husband is Ron Wheeler. And if you go a little bit earlier in the podcast, you will find his episode that was, I think, released back in March. Um, Life Lessons from Wrestling is the is the uh, title of that episode. So go and be sure to go and check that out. Uh, and we're thankful to have his better half on the episode today. And so we just want to sort of go ahead and dive in. And um, Shelly, I understand that you had something to happen to you. You experienced something that many people would consider personal, and I no doubt want uh, believe that is you know a personal experience. And I kind of want to talk about that. Uh, could you just go and tell us um, about the cancer that you experienced um, once contracted? Yes. Um, in August of 2017, um, I had gone to the emergency room here in town, our local emergency room, because I was experiencing some pain for, for some issues that they thought was one thing, but it ended up being something else. So basically what happened was they call it an incidental catch that I went in for something that they thought was going on, but what they found was um, actually cancer. Um, they ended up doing a CT scan on my abdomen and that's where they found it. 
And um, I was a couple of days, probably within a couple of days, I was able to have a biopsy and uh, basically within a week found out that indeed it was non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And how did that affect you? Like as soon as you heard the news? Well, you know, you kind of um, are shocked, you know, um, the hard part for me, I think overall was that um, it wasn't something that you expect to happen. And when you're first told it, it obviously is a shock to you, especially um, I was 48 at the time with it when I, when I heard the news and when I got the initial diagnosis. So that was in my brain, at least fairly young to have contracted this disease. And so, um, I think that, um, it is a little bit of a shock. You, you don't ever want to hear the horrible word cancer in any form or fashion. I, I don't think, you know, nobody. Yeah. I don't think anybody nowadays wants to hear the word cancer. Right. So yeah, it was, it was definitely a shock. Yeah. I mean, I know that there are things that you just don't prepare for in life. And it seems to me, at least, that the the easiest thing to do or what we would consider the easiest thing to do would be to, I don't know, doubt or go into a state of depression and sort of, you know, ask, like, why me? I mean, did you experience any of those feelings at all? Maybe asking God why or something like that? Um, No, I never asked why. Um, And to be honest with you, I feel like... um, I just, for some reason, I never had the inclination to feel that way. Um, To be honest, when I first got the diagnosis, um, I really had a sense of calm and peace about it. I never um, broke down and cried. I never, um, at least at that point, I never felt like it was the end for me. Like I would, you know, I never felt like I would not be here, you know, within a certain amount of time or whatever. And I, I really feel that that was, um, my path that God had given me to be able to find the cancer because for my whole story, and I won't go into great, great detail, but it really was, I feel God's hand um, in the whole situation that I was diagnosed in the first place, that they caught it when they did. And that, um, everything along the path for me, even though there were some ups and downs, I felt always at peace, always trusting that no matter what the outcome eventually would be, that for some reason, it was my lesson to learn. It was my experience to learn, whether it be just for me to know later on, hopefully help somebody later on, or be able to do something later on with the experience that it was going to give me. You know, and it's it's interesting too, because I guess what most people would call a coincidence as Christians, we probably would call it providence. And so I'm just, I'm, I'm a little bit curious about that too, because most people who aren't believers or even some believers would say that your response was, is very unusual, right? I mean, when you hear the term cancer, they may think like, oh, my entire world is crumbling, right? Like there's nothing else for me. There's no hope. But you, on the other hand, remain strong at a state of calm and peace. Do you like, can you elaborate on that? Like, how did that affect your faith? It, it seems to me that it increased your faith. Like, would, Oh, absolutely. Would 
Absolutely. Because every step along the way, especially when I was first diagnosed in the emergency room, you know, I, um, all my life, I've had a high tolerance for pain. It runs in my dad's side of the family. So things that would normally hurt and bother other people, um, I kind of like washed it away and was on the wayside for me. It wasn't something that was um, ever a big deal for me, you know, and, and I can say this honestly, you know, and I, and you and I have talked about this previously, personally, you know, I had two children without any medication. Mm -hmm. I was never had any, any pain medication when I was going through childbirth, both times I was able to do it naturally both times, you know, which a lot of people think that that's, you know, an accomplishment in itself, which it is, you know, to a certain degree. Yeah, it is to a certain degree. So I've always kind of had that high tolerance for pain and for the pain that I was having to send me into the emergency room um, was a big deal because I normally don't have a lot of issue with pain. So the, the pain that I was having was a big deal for me. And I knew something was wrong, but we didn't exactly know what it was. Honestly, we thought it was appendicitis. And so um, when we saw the, when we went into the ER that evening, the doctor was very busy with a lot of other patients and he was very, um, he wouldn't look us in the eye when we first were in there. He was very kind of, you know, overwhelmed with whatever else he was dealing. And we kind of felt like he kind of had the attitude of, I really don't have time to deal with you, you know, kind of situation. And um, luckily we had a really wonderful nurse and um, she knew that I was in pain and I was struggling. And so she really pressed the doctor to run the tests because for me, when they took blood, when I was first in there, they, the blood results came back showing nothing like none of my, my signs were there in the blood work that, of anything being elevated, no infection, you know, nothing. So my blood work was showing nothing. So the doctor was perplexed, but yet at the same time, he really didn't want to deal with me. And so the nurse pushed for me to have a CT scan. And so he finally agreed to do it. And that's where they saw the cancer in the lymph nodes in my stomach, because non-Hodgkin's lymphoma is basically the cancer of your uh, lymphatic system, which is your immune system. And you have lymph nodes all over your body. Mm -hmm. um, I did not know that you had lymph nodes in your stomach. So that was something that was new to me as well. Me too. Yeah. Something that I learned along the way. But um, so anyway, long story short, they, they did the CT scan. And when the doctor got the results, he had to come back into the room to Ron and I, and he could not look us in the eye. He could not look Ron in the eye to tell him that there was a possible cancer diagnosis. He looked down at the floor the whole time because he felt, I think, so bad, one, that he didn't spend more quality time trying to figure out what was going on. And then two, I was so young and he just couldn't believe that that's what was going on you know? So I ended up being admitted that night and they kept me for observation and to control my pain and things like that. And then the next day they had an oncology group that's affiliated with our hospital system. And they sent over a doctor and a hospitalist and stuff to talk to me and Ron about everything that was going to happen within a matter of days to basically, um, 
say, this is exactly what you have. This is what's being proven. And, and basically they all were um, shocked to be honest, because I was young and I was um, a female, which normally non-Hodgkin's lymphoma seems to affect older males more predominantly, which I thought that was interesting. Um, And then also um, it did not show up in my blood work at all Hmm. in the emergency room. So they thought all of those were very extraordinary circumstances and they just couldn't believe that they caught it. So all of those things together just kept for whatever, whatever divine intervention reason, you Mm know, um, seemed to be that God sent me there for a reason. I would, God led me there to a reason, gave me all the signs that I needed to do to say I needed to be seen and I needed to have those tests done. So I truly believe that, um, he sent me there. And that, um, if without my faith, I don't know, um, if I would have recognized all those signs along the way, I don't know if I would have paid attention to all those signs along the way, because there were many, 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 many all along. So, um, I truly believe that I, it was meant to be caught and it was meant to be treated and I was meant to go through it, but, um, who knows, you know, hopefully along the, the path of the rest of my life, I'll figure out why. <laughs> right. Well, hindsight is twenty twenty. That at least the old adage says. So, I mean, but yeah. you mentioned you mentioned earlier in the introduction that, you know, you are a wife, a mother. Um, and so and also, I mean, you have a job. And mm-hmm. I mean, I just want to I want to talk about that. How did contracting cancer affect all of your family relationships, your relationships with your husband, your children, your relationships at work? I mean, how did it affect that? Well, of course, you know, I think anytime you receive a diagnosis where you have to um, have some type of treatment or you have to have the 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 lingering effects of treatment, you know, and, and also just. A, a medical diagnosis in a nut in a hole is um, a scary situation, you know, for, for most people. So I'm very thankful that I do have my faith, that I feel strong in my faith. And that I, that I know along the way that God is always with me, you know, he's, he's there with me. He's walking beside me, even though I don't see him with my own eyes. I know he's there. You know, um, it was very hard for me. The hardest part actually amongst one one part of my treatment along the way was telling my children that I had been diagnosed with it. You know, um, my children don't live in the state with me. We're out of, we're out of state. You know, we are in Omaha. My daughter's in Oklahoma city. My son's in new Orleans. And I knew with them also being in the medical field that they would know right away, you know, um, what kinds of things would be coming down the road for me? What, you know, who, who knows what the outcome could be that the process that I would have to go through, you know, all of those things. So I think one of the hardest things for me to do was to have to tell my children over the phone and not see them in person and have them here in person to tell them. So that was the most difficult thing for me. Um, You know, of course, my daughter took it very hard um, at first. Um, She was very, very upset. Um, And I just kept telling her, you know, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. You know, I'm going to do what they tell me to do. We're going to treat it. 
we're going to get into remission. It's going to be okay. I'm not going anywhere. You know, I kept telling her I'm not going anywhere, you know? So to reassure her, you know, and I told her you need to pray, have your friends pray, have your church pray, you know, because all those prayers never hurt anyone. They only help in the long run. So, um, my son, of course, um, he took it a little bit better than my daughter, but with him, of course, being a medical school and going to be a doctor, he got into the mode of, okay, what is your treatment going to be? Who are your doctors? I want to research them. I want to talk to the oncologists that I have available to me down here. You know, what is your treatment plan? He starts getting into the nitty gritty of it, you know, making sure that mom is getting the best possible care that I can get, you know, and that they're doing all the right things for me, you know? So that, that in a sense is reassuring, but at the same time, along the way, it kind of was a pain that they, (laughs) that they were in the medical field because they were on me, like all the time. Are you doing this mom? Are you doing that mom? Are you, you know, so they were making sure that mom was doing what she was told as well. You know, that's good. (laughs) (laughs) So in a way that it's a double-edged sword, you know, it's good in one sense, bad in another, you know? But um, as far as work goes, I'm so lucky and blessed that I work at the church, you know, um, and I was working at the church at the time. And, and actually the, the elders that are my bosses um, were so accommodating to me. They um, let me work at the hospital. I took my laptop. I have a laptop that I use for um, all my, my work on it for the church. And I was able to, when I felt good work in the hospital when I was, cause my treatments had to be in the hospital. I was um, in the hospital five days a week and I was hooked up to chemo 24 hours a day. And um, I also had to have um, spinal taps to have my spinal fluid checked for um, chemo because of where my cancer was in my stomach region. Um, and then I had to have uh, chemo put into my spine as well um, to prevent um, any, any trying to basically escape my stomach region and get into um, my spinal fluid and go to the base of my brain, because that can happen, unfortunately, um, with this cancer and where it was in my stomach in the lymph nodes. So um, all that being said, I was in the hospital for five days at a time um, with treatment and um, I would come home and be home for a few days. And then I would have to get the new last shot because I would um, basically plummet for my energy levels and, and my white blood cell count and all that. And they would give me the last shot and that would kind of bring me back up and plus help my immune system because I was very much immune compromised when I was going through treatment. So I had to be really careful with that, but um, they let me work with my laptop and it really was a wonderful gift for me overall because it kept me engaged. Um, I wasn't always thinking about being in the hospital, having treatment. I was able to work and feel like I was contributing still and feel like I was a part of what was going on at the church and, um, and just everyday life that I wasn't necessarily so secluded and so out of touch because I had to be, you know, so that, that was a huge blessing that I was able to do that. So that really kept my mind engaged and it's hard sometimes when you're going through chemo. And I know a lot of other people can relate to this, that have had to do that is you 
get foggy. Your brain gets foggy is the, I know they call it chemo brain and your brain gets kind of foggy. You, you can think about things. You get forgetful. A lot of the times you, you can't remember things that, that you feel like you should be able to remember um, things that might've happened like a couple of weeks ago. You, you, it's not there, you know, then you like a couple of days later, you're like, Oh, there it comes back. You're like, Oh yeah, I remember now, you know, I couldn't <laughs> remember then, you know? So, and I still have little bouts of that here and there, but it's much better than what I was. So, well, you know, I think something that you just said that really caught my attention was the fact that you considered the elders allowing you to work from the hospital, a gift. Like you just stated that that was a gift that I think, at least in my personal opinion, that shows your remarkable integrity and it shows <laughs> the heart of a true servant. I mean, the fact that you still wanted to contribute when you yourself was experiencing some traumatic event that most people um, would, I guess, you know, wanted to check out maybe or rest or, you know, just not do anything. And I mean, they're well within their rights to do that. But you, yeah. on the other hand, wanted to continue to con- to contribute, continue to serve in any capacity that you can. And I just think that's absolutely remarkable. And it has definitely uh, helped with my own perspective in life. Uh, when we deal with tough things, we don't necessarily have to quit, right? We can continue to help other people and use our cir- circumstance or situation to uh, help others arm themselves with hope. Uh, the next thing I kind of want to I kind of want to talk about is uh, when when someone experienced something traumatic, it's it's almost automatic for other people to say, I am so sorry that happened to you. Like, ah, oh, you know, it, you've just finished essentially bawling, you know, just I mean, unleashing the wrath of your emotions to yeah. these people. And the best phrase or sentence they can put together is, I'm so sorry that happened to you. Right. How right. did that make you feel? Because I'm sure you got it a lot, but how did it, how did that make you feel while dealing with that situation? Well, you know, um, actually, I would tell you that I really didn't get I'm so sorry a lot. I I got literally shock, like on the looks on their faces, like, I can't believe that you have cancer. You don't look like you have cancer. Of course, until my hair fell out. And then I did. <laughs> But, you know, I would say probably the, and I'll tell you this story only because we laugh about it still to this day. When I was in the hospital for treatment, you know, I'm, I'm hooked up. I have a port in, Mm -hmm. so they, they hook into my port and my chemo bags hang from an IV pole. And so my doctor was very much a strong proponent of, he didn't want me laying in the hospital bed all day, just laying there having treatment and stuff, because it's not good for your body. So he would have me do laps around the floor of the hospital where I was on, cause I was on a specific floor. And so we would, we would walk laps around the hospital to keep me moving, keep my body moving and not be in the bed too. And it's good emotionally for you as well to be out of the room, out of the bed, but you're still on the floor. Right. And so um, we were walking around, Ron was walking with me and he was, he was pushing the pole And he was walking on the one side of me and I was walking and I hadn't lost my hair yet. So it was like my first treatment, maybe, maybe into my second one. And we were walking the floor and there was an elevator and there was person, some people got off the elevator and um, I think it was an older gentleman. um, And he looked at both of us and smiled and he looked at Ron and he's like, 
way to go. Good job. Keep up the fight or something to that effect. Oh, and Ron and I just kind of looked at each other. He said it to Ron because Ron's bald and he doesn't have any hair and he's holding the IV pole and we're on the cancer floor, you know? And so, but he, he didn't think it was me. He thought it was Ron. And so we just looked at each other and we just kind of laughed and smirked. And we said, thank you to the gentleman. And Ron's like, thanks, you know, because what are you going to say? <laughs> you know? So, um, but we, we still laugh about it to this day, you know, which in a way, I mean, you, you got to laugh, you know? And so he, the, the gentleman never knew the wiser, you know, but, um, that just shows you that, um, people mean well, you know, obviously, but yeah. So I never got, you know, I'm sorry a lot. I just got, um, you don't look like you have cancer. I can't believe you have cancer, you know? So I, I took that as a compliment, to be honest. And I, I kind of use that to fuel myself that I never looked like I had cancer until I lost my hair, you right. know? And, and I never really got, luckily for me, it was such a blessing. I never really got the grayish color that sometimes a lot of cancer patients get when they're going through treatment. Um, I never really lost my color a lot. Um, so that was a blessing too. So um, I tried really, really hard to do exactly what my doctors told me the whole time I was going through treatment. And um, my friends, you know, I had a lot of wonderful, wonderful friends that really rallied and helped us. And, um, I had a lot of church family that helped and, um, you know, brought food to me and, and wanted to see me when they could, and would write notes to me and letters and encouragement and would, you know, send stuff with Ron and cause Ron was able to go to church, but I wasn't, you know, um, when I was going through treatment. So it was, it was, it was a blessing, but I never really got the the sorry thing. So it was kind of a unique situation, I guess. So, but I think, you know, for people to generally say they're so sorry that you have to go through something like that, it, it it's, if you can see that it's a heartfelt thing, it's, it's the right thing to say because nobody wants, like I said before, nobody wants a cancer diagnosis, right. you know? Yeah. You know, it's, well, I, first, let me say this. <laughs> You messed me up with the run uh, story. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to calm myself down because I said, man, people are going to hear me laughing over the podcast. But hey, laughter is good for the soul. That's right. That's right. <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> like, I already knew what you were going to say. Like, I, before you even got to the punchline, I said, oh, man, this is, this is bad. <laughs> but yeah, that's a. Uh, <laughs> Honestly, I think that's that's remarkable, even being able to stay afloat, so to speak, when all the waves are crashing on top of you and still having the ability to smile and even wanting to move out of the bed. And, and you know, granted, I know that people were around you to motivate you, but I think there's a lot, a great deal of the self-esteem that kicks in that, you know, you have to be self-motivated to do things for yourself, too. And um, I think there's no question that you were self-motivated. And so, yeah. I think so. I, I think you, ha well, my, my oncologist, my doctor, my main oncologist said, you know, a lot of people, when they hear the cancer, the word cancer, 
automatically think death, you know, or they automatically think the most horrible thing that could happen to them, which I understand that to a certain degree, but he said the mind is so much a part of your treatment and your recovery and your remission to, to have the mindset of going in with, I'm going to do the best I can. I I'm going to do exactly what my doctors say. And I want the outcome of being in remission and being healthy again and, and fighting this and winning this battle. He said, the mind is a powerful tool that we need to use to help overcome along with all the other options that are available to us. Right. You know, that makes sense. Um, My football coach used to say that the battle always begins in the mind before we ever stepped on the field. You know, he used to tell us and I'm so happy because he wasn't like, you know, your normal sort of uh, uh, cliche type football coaches who give you that motivating speech when they know deep inside of their minds and hearts that we're about to lose this game. Like he, He would tell us, like, you're already defeated. I can sit on your faces. Your, your shoulders are slumped. It's, it's in your attitude. Yeah. So right. I don't expect to win this game. I don't expect you guys to perform on the field tonight. Right. There's right. a difference between being nervous and actually defeated already. And right. so I think, yeah, it, it, the battle does begin in the mind, which is why you have to have that mental stability, that mental fortitude already ready to go before you experience some traumatic um, event. And that way you can, as you stated before, persevere through it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I played uh, softball and volleyball when I was in high school and um, part of my junior high years as well. Um, I will say my favorite was volleyball. Um, I felt whatever reason I was, I was more apt suited for it, even though I'm only five foot four and a half. Mm -hmm. So I, I wasn't the typical volleyball player at the time, but what I did excel in was, at least my coach told me was, um, I worked just as hard as everybody else, or if not harder at practice to be just as good, or at least equal with some of the best players that we had that were much taller than me. And I ended up being an outside hitter because I had a uh, pretty high vertical jump Mm -hmm. evidently. And so, and I worked on it and worked on it, worked on it. We would go and train in the summertime on the beach and play in the sand and we play doubles and you, you build up a lot of strength, you build up a lot of endurance and it, it takes, you know, it's not easy to play in sand. I don't know if you've ever played sand volleyball, but it's, it's definitely not an easy thing, but we trained a lot. We trained off season as well. And I worked really, really hard. And so, um, and he would always use that to motivate other people as well. He would use me as an example. She's five foot four and a half, but she can jump higher than somebody that's five foot eight. Mm. Yeah, you have so, yeah. So that was definitely a motivation for me and a factor. And it was, it was just a great team experience. He really built the mindset of you all work together as a team. If one of you is struggling, then you, you bring that person up to be with you because you are a team, you are a unit when you're on the court. And if you don't function as a unit, if you don't function as a team, then it's going to show and you're going to lose. Right, man, I can, I totally agree with that and can definitely relate. If you don't work as a unit, yeah, you're, you're going down, especially if it's a team sport anyway, but right. You know, I think about, I think about the book of James and specifically verses uh, one through three. 
and James are talking to those Christians who are scattered abroad throughout the various regions. And he teaches us that if we use the trials that we're experiencing or that we experience in life, if we use them correctly, that trial is going to gift us with something. And that mm-hmm. gift is endurance and patience, right? I mean, so when you have endurance, to me, in my perspective, at least, is automatically coupled with, with, with patience. Right. But I, I just want to ask you, when, when you contracted cancer and dealing with that and battling with that, how did it, like, what did it gift you with? What did you learn about yourself? That's a good question because, you know, I think for a while in the beginning, I was so um, motivated to um, beat the odds, so to speak, even though I think I had a really good prognosis anyway, to be honest, um, I, I was determined that I was not going to let anything happen to me because I still had a lot of life to live. I, I still had a lot of life with my husband, with, with my children. Um, I wanted to be around for grandchildren in the future, you know, all all of those things that were so near and dear to me that, um, you know, I, Ron and I built, you know, this life and this family, and that is the most important thing in this physical world for us. And I think that, um, you know, I, I definitely leaned on my faith a lot more. I really um, looked at a lot of scriptures, paid a lot of attention to um, words and their meanings and how it affected me. Um, I Music is a, a big um, uplifting thing for me. And at the time, um, Mercy Me had just come out with that song, Even If, mm-hmm. um, in 2017. And one of my favorite hymns that we sing is it is well with my soul. And so that really resonated with me every time that I would go in to have my spinal taps, which was the hardest part for me of my treatment. um, I would have to be completely still, you know, I couldn't move and they would have to numb um, into my spine each layer down through the skin to be able to get to where I was totally numb, where I couldn't feel them go into my spine. I mean, I felt pressure, but I didn't feel it, you know, in that sense, but I couldn't move because if you move when they're in your spine, something could happen and ultimately paralyze you. So it was very, very stressful environment to a certain degree. Plus they're putting chemotherapy into my spine. So everybody else around you has to be wearing all this protective gear and face shields and, you know, double gowns. And I mean, it's kind of intimidating, to be honest, that they're dealing with this and they're all gowned up and here I am exposed and lying on a table with somebody that's going to put a needle in my spine, you know, and stuff and put um, chemotherapy in your spine. It's a little daunting. So I would lay there and sing that hymn Mm. to myself to be able to relax and to be able to just be still. And then I would start singing the Mercy Me song as well 
and sing it over and over again in my head just to keep me calm and keep me still. So words and music and my faith, I relied on so heavily during those particular times. But I think most of all, what I learned is that um, time is a gift. Time is a gift that we're given and we need to use it to the utmost ability with what makes us happy and that we are serving in the ways that God wants us to serve and needs us to serve. And also material things don't matter. Relationships and our family and people that mean the most to us matter the most. Absolutely. I, well, I wholeheartedly agree with that. You know, there's a, there's three things I wanted to touch from that. Like first thing, there's a particular idea. Uh, I think people are actually acting on it, but it's called blood boys. I don't know if you ever heard of that before, Mm-mm. but anyway, so people who are older think mm-hmm. that taking the blood of a younger person would give them more years. Oh. And uh, so it's a, uh, yeah, some, some freaky stuff, but so they they actually believe that, and many people practice this. But one psychologist stated, "What's the point of you know asking for or even uh, trying to get more years when your life is essentially uh, what you have done with it? Like whatever you have done with your life, that's your life. If you've done nothing but sit on the couch and bench watch Netflix or something like that, then I mean, what is your life, right? So right. I think it is pretty important to have those relationships and things of that nature. And the second thing, like. Shelly, you know me. I have a great difficulty, amount of difficulty talking about just uh, procedures and stuff like, especially needles, my greatest fear. Yeah, I, I know. Uh, so if if you're able to watch this video, you will see me sort of, you know, swarm and cringe up and stuff like that. Yeah, Shelly understands why. Okay, I, I am deeply frightened by needles. But uh, it, it, I think it shows like, the amount of faith that you have. And it really speaks to the depth of your faith that you were able to essentially leave the outside rim of this physical world and go inside of your mind while you just, I mean, I hate getting physicals for the reason of being exposed. And then everyone is like in the room, I'm like, goodness, you know, just Uh just tell me something and hopefully I don't have to do anything physically. (laughs) But that's part of the reason why I hate doing that. But for you to, be able to sing a hymn while all of that is going on. And then, you know, with the uh, having the needle in the spine and things of, and things of that nature, like it's uh, a- incredibly difficult uh, to do. And in fact, the guy who penned that hymn, I mean, it said about him that he lost his entire family. I think in a, in a house fire, mm-hmm. went to the ocean, I believe, sat there, was sort of thinking, and mm-hmm. he saw how peaceful that was and was able to write that hymn. And I'm thinking like, man, that is, that, that's pretty special. And so it, it, it almost feels like when you sing that hymn from now on, it's like they can't just be words on a paper or a screen right. or projector in our case. Uh, they have to mean something to you, right? It's taking yes. words off the screen or the page. Um, yeah. And I think you did that. Oh, thanks. Well, when one of the first um, times back, I got to actually physically be back at church after my treatment was all over. And I was given the okay to start being around people again and everything. Um, nobody knew, nobody knew. Um, and so I remember being, being in the seats in the church that day. And, um, I think 
it was BK was the song leader, BK Porter. And he sang that song Mm. that Sunday morning. And I remember tears just streaming down my face when we were singing it, but it was tears of joy, you know, because that hymn means so much to me now, to, to be honest, it's always been one of my favorites. I just love the melody and I love the words. And, um, but now it means so much more to me because it truly, um, got me through some of the most difficult times of my treatment. And it brings me such peace and joy to sing it. it it's almost cathartic in a way for me now, you know, and even the song, even if, you know, when I hear it um, or, and I have the CD with it on, I have the CD, you know, of the song. And so when I hear it and I play it, it, it just means so much to me. The words mean so much to me. And I don't know if you know, but um, he wrote that song um, because his son has, uh, is a diabetic. And he was going through some health issues at the time as well when uh, he wrote that song. So, um, so yeah, I mean, it, it's it's amazing how we can find those things around us and in our everyday life that can take on such meaning when um, it's presented, you know, in certain aspects of our life. And I just, I, I'm so thankful that I had my faith, to be honest because I think it would have been a much um, harder uh, situation. I think it would have been a much harder, um, just on me in general, you know, if I didn't. I, I really feel for those people who who are struggling in their faith and who, are, who don't have a faith or a foundation. Um, that breaks my heart for them because it's so much a part of my life that I can't even imagine. Right. You know, since since having or contracting cancer, is there a biblical passage or, or character that you most identify with now? Uh, could you tell us a little bit about that? Um, I, I don't necessarily know character because, you know, there's so many for me, there's so many great women of the Bible and they all, you know, Mary and Martha. And, you know, I mean, there's just so many, you know, but there's a lot of passages like Psalms 55, 22, you know, that was you know, cast your, cast your burdens, you know, on him. And, and James 5, 13 through 15 is another great one, you know, and then you go into the Psalms. I like Psalms 145. I think it was 17 through 19. And I mean, there's lots of, there's Jeremiah, Matthew, there's some scriptures in there. So I, I would read through all of the ones, you know, basically for alleviate strength, anxiety, give you hope and a purpose, you know? Um, so some of those were, were most definitely that. And then of course, you know, um, Ron is always my rock, you know, he's, he's, he's a good one to have in your court when, um, there are a lot of problems, you know, he sometimes looks at things much differently than I do, which is a, a good, good thing. A lot of the time, you know, because the way I look at something, especially being a female and the way males look at something are, are totally different, you know, we're wired so differently. Um, but he was a steady constant for me, always, um, always was there for me always. Um, you know, I, I can't imagine how scared he must have been for the thought of what could be the outcome. Um, 
but we never really talked about that because we, we were focused on the positive and the focused on God and that all the circumstances that led up, you know, were obviously meant to be. And so we, we, we didn't feel like there would be a negativity outcome. You know, there wouldn't be anything negative at the end. So um, I think that he was by de- my rock, my shield, my protector, everything that you could say um, and that you would want in your husband and your spouse and a man of God, he truly was and is. So man, that I'm, is special. Goodness. Oh, look, is. I'm not a man that cries a lot, but man, that, that pulled the heartstrings there. I felt a little harp in my ear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is seriously. I mean, that is absolutely wonderful to have someone in your corner, especially during the most difficult times of your life. Uh, but Shelly, yeah, before we, before we close, I, I just have to ask this question because I know there are a lot of people who may be listening, who struggle or deals with cancer in their own lives, or maybe they know someone who deals or struggles with mm-hmm. cancer. Um, mm-hmm. How, what advice would you give to those individuals? You know, it's hard. I hate to say advice. I would say, um, you know, here are a couple lessons I learned, you know, that hopefully it helps you along the way, you know, Um, because everybody's cancer diagnosis is different and it's so personal, you know, you know, I will, I will say this. I learned through my journey that my cancer is considered one of the few that can be cured. And so I'm three and a half years in remission which is such a blessing. And, um, if I get to five years of being in remission and staying clean, I am considered cured. So, which is, you know, such, you know, it's a huge mountain to get to. And then once you're there, it's just, you know, a gift, you know, that's all I, that's the biggest word I could say. It's a gift to be able to reach that milestone and get that, have my oncologist tell me that I'm considered cured from my cancer. So that's my goal. And that's, that's on the track that I'm on. So, but first and foremost, you know, if I feel like if you don't have some type of faith in your life, some relationship with God, um, I I feel like that's what has to be strengthened. And that's what you really need to lean on. Um, Second, you know, you have to um, truly listen to your doctors. You truly have to make sure that the doctors are listening to you and that you have the best team caring for you that you can possibly have. Um, I was so lucky and so blessed to have the doctors and the availability to the doctors that I have in my, in my care team. And I, of course, Omaha in general is a medically um, blessed town. We have such access to wonderful care and doctors and facilities here. Um, I, I just can't say enough about it. So I think you have to be your own personal advocate in that arena, because if you feel like you're not getting the whole picture or you feel like you're getting um, not quite quality care, you have to be your own advocate to voice and get what you feel is the right care and, and treatment and options available to you, you know, as a person, right. um, like I said, I, I, I was just so lucky in that situation. And then, um, I also feel like you have to take hold of your health. 
Um, I didn't say this earlier. It's my mind then, but I will say that's one of the other lessons that I've learned along the way that being healthy, being an being um, knowledgeable in your health and what's good for your body and what's not, and doing the things that you need to do to take care of yourself are so, so important. Um, it, it's not only good for you physically, it's good for you mentally and it, and it's good for you spiritually as well, you know? So um, if you feel good and, and you're at a good place in your mind, I feel like, you know, God's going to bless you in a lot of ways. And not only that, but you can help others that might not be at that point in their life too, you know? So, and then one of the last and most important things too, is just relationships with people. You know, you have to be able to lean on people. You have to have those strong people in your life that are your rocks, your foundation, um, that to have that, those relationships with, because you can lean on them when you might not be as strong you know, and you might need to be propped up a little bit, you know, and, um, just to be there for you to have the, there and the laughter too, because laughter is important, that you is know, true. and it's good for your soul, you know? So, so, so many lessons that you learn along the way. Um, and I just feel so grateful and so blessed and so lucky that I've, I've learned, them. And I think I've taken them to heart, but, but yet at the same time, I feel so honored that I'm able to help anybody that I might be able to help along the way and and maybe, maybe give them a piece of advice that they didn't know, or tell them something that I learned that they might not know. Um, I will share with you. I had the opportunity when I got done with treatment, I got done December of um, 2017 And, um, unfortunately that winter was a really bad flu season. And so, um, flu was really rampant. And so I thought I was going to be able to start being amongst other people and going back to church by the end of January. Well, it was like March before I was able to do very much because of my immune system and being immune compromised and all of that. So in March, uh, Ron and I went back to the hospital that I was at and I was treated at and went to the oncology floor to take, um, some gifts to some of the nurses there, um, because they were so great and wonderful to me. And they have such a hard job on that floor. Um, they deal with a lot of oncology patients that their outcomes are not the same as mine, you know, unfortunately, and struggle a lot, very sick people. So, um, and that's a hard job to do day in and day out to be, caring for those people and seeing them and and what they go through. So we took some, some gifts up there to them and um, was able to visit with a couple of the nurses that I really got to know um, more closely. Mm -hmm. And um, there happened to be a patient there that day that was a female that was from the Kansas city area. And she actually had the same um, cancer as me, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, but it was in her chest it was in her chest cavity, um, in the lymph nodes there. And she was considered like a stage three when they found mine, mine was a stage two. So, um, anyway, she was having a really hard time and she was younger than me. She was, had just turned like 29 or 30 and she was engaged. She was supposed to be getting married and just, you know, a huge upheaval in her life and just very scary situation. And so the nurse said to me, 
would you mind going in and seeing her? She said, let her see you. And do you mind talking with her for a few minutes? And she looked at Ron and she said, her fiance is in there with her. Would you go in and talk to him and like see him and and reassure him and just, you know, whatever you guys could do to say to them, would you guys mind doing that? And we were like, sure, you know, we'd be glad to. So we went in and we spent 45 minutes with them. Mm. And um, it was really a great experience for us. And it was really something that um, I still remember vividly to this day. Long story short, I ran into one of my nurses after we had done that um, just out at a store one day, like a month later. And she hugged me really tight. And she said, I just want you to know, you remember that young lady that you talked to that day that I had you and Ron go in and visit with and stuff. And I said, yes, I I remember. I said, how is she doing? She said, she's doing wonderful. She's in remission. And I Mm -hmm. said, oh, that is so great. She said, but I have to tell you that she told me that having you and Ron come in and speak to them was the biggest gift she could have ever gotten because you were so positive and you were so um, uplifting to her that it totally changed her mindset and it totally changed her attitude. And she said, if she can do it, I can do it. Amen. And she said that, that you, she said to this day that you were her inspiration to make it to the finish line. And I was, that really touched me. And I thought, you know, thank you, God, for giving me that opportunity to help somebody that needed my help that I didn't even know. Amen. So, well, Shelly, I tell you, I thank you so much. And I learned a lot from just hearing your story and your experiential wisdom. I mean, it has been fun. Great conversation. Uh, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Oh, you're so welcome, Daniel. Thank you for asking me. I, I hope uh, I hope somebody hears it and hopefully it helps them along the way. And um, I just thank you for giving me the opportunity. It is sometimes difficult to have hope in a seemingly hopeless situation, but difficulty doesn't mean impossible. And I I think Shelley undoubtedly uh, revealed that in this episode. I pray that this message was inspiring to you and definitely equipped you with some things to think about when dealing with people who are currently battling with cancer, or if you have battled with cancer yourself, uh, that you are encouraged and have been encouraged through what was shared in this episode. Again, if you will, please leave a review for the podcast as this will help with uh, getting this information that we have to share into the faces of many people. Thank you guys so much and may God bless.